0: You're listening to a Toe Network production, putting heroes on trial because someone has to. Uh this is Sono. And I am Ahmed and you are listening to Moon Speak. I'm a magical girl rookie and Sono is a vet, so prepare yourself to be enchanted as we delve deep into each act. And we will be discussing episode three, uh, Ray Sailor Mars. Yeah. Yeah, I should write that down because I keep forgetting. Uh okay, so first uh getting into the meat and veggies of the uh episode, uh Beryl's uh, servants didn't know about the legendary Silver Crystal, which kind of surprised me. But maybe they're kind of more lackeys than anything else. But these are the four kings of darkness, so it's kind of surprising.
1: I know there are a few specific things about the four kings that are going to come up later in the story, but I think Beryl herself may not even know the complete extent of the Silver Crystal's power. The way she talks about it, it seems like she's kind of going off of secondhand information like a lot of old legends about the silver crystal and maybe something is given to them by their great ruler. And I think since Beryl is their queen, and they're kind of a step below her, uh, and since the group of them didn't really expect any opposition, they just kind of went into this trusting Beryl's instincts on, okay, well, we need this thing, so let's go get it, and we'll figure out the rest when we get there.
0: Um, Yeah, that's kind of an interesting idea that I... Uh, touch upon later in my notes, but I I I kind of like it because it throws out a lot of the standard um shonen. And I know technically this is I don't know do, I, I don't know the genres as well. Is this uh is this more seinen than shoujo Which my understanding of that is that means like a actiony show versus like a girl show. Do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, know you what
1: you're saying, but uh, usually in when you have this kind of villain up regardless of whether it's Magical Girl or something else, I think this is kind of common, where uh, information is being withheld from your second-level bosses so that you can exposit to the audience.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was just thinking it was a genre thing, but it's probably, well, it's a different type of genre thing, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, I, it's more of um, kind of a writing flow sort of thing.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um, you know how something I've noticed about this show is that they don't use the standard uh, Black Line, which that's still the standard for most anime, right? The Black Lines on uh, people?
1: It is Black Line uh, seems to be standard for a lot of shows, but I am seeing more of a deviation from that. Uh, usually you see a deviation from that with Studio Shaft. They tend to like gravitating away from that, but I do kind of like it, here that they're doing that in Crystal, that they're using generally kind of a soft brown line for everyone. It gives everything kind of a warmer, uh, softer feel instead of a harder edge. Um, and then I've noticed that with Beryl, especially in this episode, getting more close-ups on her that we saw, uh, they're actually lining her with a bright red line, which does a lot to kind of indicate this really ominous power in her. And I think that's a really interesting animation choice that they're making.
0: Yeah, I've seen um, on some older animation where they've done it with the like a brown or like even matching different types of lines to what the character models actually have on them, um, like Digimon. Uh, those yeah. the movies for those stick out in my mind, and um, Summer Wars. That's yes. another one.
1: Summer uh, Wars did that. They gave everyone in Oz a red line.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good it's a uh, perfect example. Um and it's an interesting technique and I like it. It feels uh you said it feels more warm. To me it almost feels more real. Um which maybe that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. Uh but I I I like it a lot and I'm I'm happy about that. And as much as uh people seem to be complaining about the animation, um I would say that's definitely a bonus.
1: Yeah, that's definitely it's a good choice and I tend I'm very aware of it when it happens just from uh having an art education and this specifically being something that I played with uh when I was in college using different line colors. So I'm I'm glad to see that it's becoming a little more prevalent. I think it's an interesting uh thing to do.
0: Okay, let's see. Um, oh uh I thought it was interesting it's not a big point, but that the four kings apparently make their monsters out of different materials.
1: Yeah, I had actually uh, forgotten about this, that this was a thing that they do. And I had to actually go back through the manga a bit, because I couldn't remember what all of them were making them out of. I only got far enough to find uh, Nephrite and what he makes his out of, which is going to come in a couple episodes, so I'm not going to say it. But I i can't remember what the other two did for theirs. So it will I get to experience that for the first time all over again.
0: There you go. Uh that's what the show's all about, apparently. Yeah. Uh okay, so uh Luna doesn't know who the princess is, and just like with the bad guys, there's this um ignorance or lack of information, and I think it's interesting, but it you know makes me wonder who sent Luna on this mission.
1: We we are gonna get to who sent Luna, and I'm pretty excited for once we hit that milestone because it's one of my favorite characters. Uh, I'm really I'm curious to see how what they do with that. But it's sort of always been a running joke in the fandom that Luna's, like, looking for the princess and can't figure out who it is when it's kind of obvious. But, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Luna's running on a lot of, uh... Luna doesn't really remember a lot of things. Uh, she's running on a... she's got some kind of amnesia going. There's a lot of her memories are blocked or fuzzy and distorted. So she's kind of trying to piece everything together as best she can while she's doing it.
0: Uh, that's interesting. It certainly um, makes the writing a little bit easier because you don't have to uh, worry about her having all this knowledge to deal with. Yeah, but.
1: it's like, oh, well, I already know all of this. Here's all of the information. It's definitely better for the story that she's running unlimited information.
0: Right. Yeah, it'd be weird if she just knew everything and then withheld information. <laughs> yeah that would be bad. Uh all right, so that was interesting. Um, and then I think specifically uh you know, she she also didn't bring or ugh, Luna also doesn't know about the legendary silver crystal. Um, so that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I think Luna's number 1 priority is we got we have to find the princess and protect her. We have to get everyone together, protect the princess. So, I know that It also may have to do with her memory loss, because the crystal is something Luna herself should know about. And I think that because her priority, her mission is find the soldiers, protect the princess, that the crystal isn't really coming to the forefront of her mind.
0: Yeah, and that's fair. And, you know, I just... Uh, I don't want, I'm not complaining about these things, it's just it, as I was going through making my notes uh, you know, recollecting yeah. what happened, it just struck me like oh, this person doesn't know this, and this person doesn't know that and I get the conceit of it uh, for the story um, Yeah, so. and, I mean
1: it is something to make note of because the Silver Crystal really is at the center of this first story arc, so I mean and now that we're moving closer toward it and toward uh, the crystal itself coming into play as a big factor of what's going on. It is definitely something to make note of and ask questions about.
0: All right, uh, let's see. Uh, Beryl and the Four Kings don't seem to know about the Sailor Guardians from encounters with a previous team or anything like that, which I found refreshing and fascinating.
1: Yeah, uh, Barrel would have at least been aware of their existence uh, from things we're going to eventually learn about but again because of those things she definitely wasn't expecting them to start showing up so i think she's just equally confused as to where are they coming from how are they appearing here this was not in the plan
0: okay and then uh this is a pretty big deal, because I've determined that this show is about characters, <laughs> um, not so much all the stuff that happens in between. And uh, it was really cool to see, um, or to hear, uh, mm-hmm. that Ray was born different from other people, mm-hmm. and, and that, that she's, she's happy, happy to have, have Usagi's non-judgmental acceptance, acceptance of
1: her. Yeah, this is a really <laughs> big theme with the girls. They all kind of have something that's isolating them from kind of a larger group of friends, from being part of a larger group of friends uh, before they meet Usagi and then her friendship and her just putting herself into their lives and accepting everything about them at face value kind of really pulls them out of what's holding them back and kind of grows them into bigger people uh, I don't really want to get ahead of myself because I'm sure that once we get to Jupiter and Venus, I'm Going to go on and on about them. Uh, but Ami came into that friendship very willingly last episode. Uh, Usagi decided that she and Ami were friends and Ami just kind of went with it because she desperately wanted a friend. Um, but we got a lot more resistance to that friendship from Rey. Ami, while Ami's insecurities were, are just as deep as Rey's, it could have been anyone anyone could have walked up to Ami and been like, hey, let's be friends. And I think Ami would have stepped forward with that. And I think that because it was Usagi, uh, Ami was able to grow so much in such a short amount of time. Um, and her her personal isolations kind of stepped from being afraid of people and kind of being afraid of being judged by other people. And that's serious enough in itself, but she's not really facing that alone anymore, and she's kind of slowly working her way out of it, because now she has someone that isn't going to judge her that way. Uh, Ray, on the other hand, with being psychic, it's this very sort of rare, specific quality about her, where it's not something that she can will get better, quote unquote, over time, that she can learn to cope with. Um... So it's it's something that we're seeing her very openly judged for in the same way that Ami was, and it's something that she's gets just as hurt by, but she's v- much more resistant toward um, kind of talking about it. Uh, like, she's very clearly touched by Usagi wanting to help her with this situation— and her offer of being friends, but Rey still pulls back and is like, no, you shouldn't be friends with me. Because Rey knows that Usagi hasn't seen kind of the weirder aspects of Rey. She doesn't know that Rey is psychic. She doesn't know all of these rumors that have spread about her. So she doesn't understand that Rey is weird. And she probably thinks that as soon as Ami knows, Ami and Usagi know about all of that, that they won't want to be friends with her anymore. That that'll be a deal-breaker, and she doesn't want to get hurt that way. Because I imagine that's probably happened to her before. Um, so, when when they Usagi and Ami come and rescue her, and they're like, oh no, we have all these powers, so we can do this... Ray's like, I'm not the only one like this. I, what I can do is something special. I can help people like they're helping me. Just because she's different doesn't mean she has to isolate herself. Um, this was actually the first time that anyone ever pieced together that Usagi was Sailor Moon so quickly. Uh, it didn't happen like this in the manga. I don't believe it happened that way in the first anime. I don't think anyone else in any incarnation has ever been seen Sailor Moon and been like, you're that girl from before. You are definitely Usagi. Don't lie to me. And, th- and I think in that moment she realizes this girl can understand me. Her, f- it's not just her offhandedly offering a friendship that isn't going to mean anything. So when, and I think that, and the fact that the two of them are like in the middle of this huge, important battle where Usagi and Ami are losing being like, no, you're, we want to help you. We're like you. I think that's what really helped Ray wake up as Mars. Um, the last couple of moments of the episode Ray has this very brief change of expression when they tell her, we've been looking for someone like you. Uh, it put a really specific emphasis on the fact that Ray is different, but that her differences are what made her special. It's She thought that her differences made her weird and that no one would want to be friends with her, but her differences are what brought her friends to her and i think that's probably the first time that's ever happened for ray
0: that's very cool yeah i, I think i think with the exception of um, oh boy what was that little girl's name it was like uh
1: chan
0: me that's right mechan um i almost saw okay i told you i'm fainting or i'm glancingly familiar with the show yeah i always heard about there were a couple characters in here, and you mentioned it before, uh, that, like, in the dub they were, like, cousins or something, and they were always, uh, like, hanging out because of that?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, Sailor Neptune and Sailor Uranus from later in the series, uh, the dub made them cousins in order to hide the fact that they were very blatant lesbians.
0: Okay, now... I was wondering if that was Ray because she was born differently and uh, that was something with which she struggled. But so it's interesting to hear that it's actually not her. Um, hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think with, with mee not judging her, I think that does something to uh, kind of emphasize children are less so that way children will pretty much accept anyone and, that being judgmental like that is kind of a learned behavior because it's really these adults that are coming to her. Like this girl is weird and she's also not doing what we want. So she must be bad.
0: Right. And it just made me think of, um, like, wasn't, uh, I know this is a, like a crazy tangent or, or turn, mm-hmm. but, um, wasn't it, uh, Aristotle that they accused of like poisoning children's minds and, or was that yeah. Plato?
1: Um, I'm not sure.
0: Uh, it was a, there was a Greek philosopher who was accused. I, th- yeah. I think he was um like taken and murdered because there were people in the town. The older people were saying he's poisoning the young people's minds, and I wondered if there was almost sort of that kind of uh, vibe, you know, that yeah, kind of idea was, being represented here. But yeah, there maybe, was definitely uh,
1: it's definitely something like that where the adults trust. It's sort of like that and sort of not in that. The, the parents never seemed to have any problem with the girl playing there and knowing Ray until Ray wasn't doing what the adults wanted.
0: Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, so I'm excited, and, uh, since it doesn't look like you corrected me, uh... Because I didn't catch his name quite well, but uh, Tuxedo Mask is apparently uh, Mamaru Chiba. So that's yes. that's cool to know his name finally. Um, and he's a high school student yes. at a uh, private high school. So,
1: yeah, I I find the scene to be really funny, and it kind of shows off the sort of person that Mamaru is, which I think is great because we haven't gotten a whole lot of his personality up until now, where he's kind of just as silly as our girls. When he introduces himself, he makes this big, elaborate motion to, like, whip out his student ID and shove it in Usagi's face before he's even told her who he is and that he's in high school. Like, he has to prove it. When he could have just been like, no, I when she asked if he's in junior high school, he could have responded with, no, I'm in high school. And Usagi would have just taken that just fine. She wouldn't have challenged him. So I think it gives us kind of a really good perspective on the sort of person Mamaru is.
0: Uh, yeah, and I, I see what you're there, and it kind of um, casts a different light on his, uh, you know, calling her Miss Bunhead. Yeah. Um, that, that's a really silly thing for you to say, especially because he didn't seem mean spirited. Um, it just kind of seemed like maybe it tickled him to to think of it that way or, or to say that. Um, so that is kind of uh, kind of cool to just from these few interactions there's this silly set to him already and i like that yeah no
1: it's definitely a, a good side of him to show especially since most of what we see of him as tuxedo mask he's trying to play off being really cool and mysterious and seeing moments like this we're like okay yeah that's a huge act
0: yeah, it kind of makes me think, um, you know, he's a pretty good analog for Usagi, cause she's, uh, definitely silly. Okay, so, uh, Jedi has ice powers. I would assume all four kings have different powers.
1: I actually had to go back and look at this, too, because I never really remembered them having specific elemental powers. And it doesn't seem like in the manga it's something that happened. Uh, it may have been handed to him just in this situation, since fire beats ice. So that Ray could step in the way that she did. I can't remember if he also did this in the first series, so it may be a callback to that. Uh, I didn't have time to go back and revisit this episode in the first series. But uh, it may have just been something that they did this time uh, for Ray specifically.
0: Yeah, and I, I was thinking, like, oh, that's a really cool thematic choice. Yeah. Uh, you know it's it's half you know cool thematic choice and half plot contrivance, but um, to hear that they, they added, added it back and it seems really interesting to me to find out about all these changes that I'm assuming Sakichi insisted upon to like um, make things tighter and uh, make things more impactful because every change that you've mentioned so far I, I think has done a, a service to the show
1: yeah, they're really. Everything that they're adding, and I feel like in in Ray's episode they didn't add quite as much as Ami's, but everything that they are adding does bring a lot of new things to the characters and to the story, and I'm glad to see a lot of it.
0: Okay, uh, let's see. Uh, Luna seems to be able to magic up any tech, which is interesting. I, I like it, even if it doesn't make that much sense.
1: Yeah, it's never really made a whole lot of sense as to where Luna's keeping all of this uh, before she starts handing it out. Uh, Last episode, when she was speaking to Ami, she seemed to imply that she's the one putting everything in the Sailor V machine. Uh, The transformation items, uh, the watches. So she's definitely got them and is keeping them somewhere, maybe down in her little computer lab. I don't know. Uh, the manga actually implies that the watches were not originally communicators and that Luna took them and made them into communicators after Usagi won them, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, but it's possible Luna just did all of that in advance this time uh, for the sake of time and is putting them in the machine for the girls to get as they need them. I'm not sure why she wouldn't just hand them out then, but <laughs> Luna does what Luna wants.
0: It's funny because it almost kind of puts a... Like a twist or a play on the idea of cats bringing gifts to their owners?
1: Yes. Which is Uh, uh, a thing I've experienced many
0: times. (laughs) Yeah, so that's funny. Um, And then, uh, apparently, they can teleport. Does this keep happening? I hope it does. It seems cool.
1: Yeah, uh, the way it's done here, and I went back to reference this in the manga to see if it was done the same way, seemed to imply that Ami's transformation uh, teleported her to Soggy. And for some reason, sent, they sent Luna with Ami and Crystal instead of having Luna give Ami Ray's uh, transformation pen to give to her like they did in the manga. I'm a little disappointed they changed this because the whole bit in the manga was pretty funny, uh, with how it played out. But Sailor Teleport is a thing that happens now and then. Uh, the girls tend to stick together as they, as more of them join the team. So, uh, the way it happens in this instance doesn't happen very often, but they do uh, occasionally use it.
0: And d- did you make up Sailor Teleport, or they actually say that?
1: Uh, I don't believe they ever actually say it, but I do believe it's called that.
0: Okay, I, I don't that's think cool, I though. made
1: that up. I may have, though. But
0: I, th- <laughs> I, like I that think a lot. that's
1: what it was called in the first series, at least.
0: Well, if it's not, it's what it should be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, Usagi made a statement equating beauty with goodness. That's not good. Um, I hope to see the subject... I hope to see that subject expanded upon, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see her struggle with that in the future. Maybe being tricked um, by a beautiful villain uh, who can just... Dis- you know what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Uh, is this referring to when Usagi stands up for Rey at the shrine? Uh, her line uh, of design. Yeah. shine. Yeah, that okay, would be, yeah she can't was, be a
0: bad person because she's beautiful. Yeah, right?
1: I think that was less about beauty in general being equated to goodness and more the fact that Usagi really seems to fixate in this episode on Ray being extremely beautiful. Usagi sees a lot of good in everyone. Like, she wouldn't think that these mothers are bad people because they're clearly just worried about their children. Um, so she's not the type to go something like this thing is ugly. That makes it bad. But again, she's, she spent a lot of time fixating specifically on how beautiful Ray is. So I think more, how dare you accuse this beautiful girl may just have been awkward phrasing on her part. She's kind of, she's upset that these adults are berating this 14 year old girl who's clearly as worried about these children as anyone else and proposes the very logical solution of, have you tried calling the police instead of asking a 14-year-old psychic where your child is? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good point. That's so a very good it's, point.
1: it's really, these mothers are trying to exploit Ray's powers, which don't work in the way that the mothers think it does. And... I think because of her fixation on Ray's beauty, it just kind of came out that way, and it was phrased awkwardly.
0: Okay, fair enough. All right, well, it's time to move into the uh, frilly section. Uh, uh, Usagi's, um, you know, to expand upon that, Usagi's naive distraction and enchantment with beauty is really cute.
1: Yeah, I think Usagi's very quickly gotten swept up in Luna's princess narrative. Um she sort of really loves this fairy tale that seems to be playing out around her of this amazing princess that they have to find and these, like, brave soldiers that protect her. And I think she's just really getting swept up in that and having a lot of fun, like, finding the beauty around her.
0: Yeah, which is cool, and it's very, uh I mean every everybody to some extent admires beauty. that's why actors and actresses are uh you know top physical specimens etc., etc. cetera, et cetera. Um, okay oh so yeah i I love the communicator watches. I'm so glad that it's only you know the third episode uh and we already have those that's really cool
1: yeah i've al- I've always loved the idea of like secret disguised communicators in anything um I don't think in the original series they had the watch the watches they did in the manga. Again, like I said, Luna made them. I think they had some kind of weird little, like PD. I'm I'm not sure how to describe it, but a little thing with a tiny screen and buttons on it. But I do really like the idea of the watches. I think that's really cute, and I think it's a good way to replace the uh, the hair pieces of warning <laughs> that we now kind of have no use for.
0: Right. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I like how. Um... It's funny to see as something develops, especially with you suggesting that Takuchi possibly was just making that first issue as a one-shot. Um like, it's funny to see when things kind of become vestigial and it's like, uh, like, just ignore that, we're gonna move on to this thing now.
1: Yeah.
0: But, uh, this makes a little more sense to just be wearing the bracelet around town or the watch. Uh, let's see, uh, oh, I, I like how, um Luna just suggests certain things be used for magic and then it happens. I really enjoy the whimsy of that.
1: Yeah, there, there's definitely a sense of items being precious and that these things can be given magic by just making them important. And I think, uh, I think that's just a, kind of a link to how young girls can tend to be, especially with items that they associate with friends, which these watches, the transformation pens, I know I had friendship bracelets growing up that I w- shared with friends and wore until they broke and then fell off of me. It's a good way of showing that the bond between the girls is really the source of their power here.
0: Cool. Uh, something I'm not very familiar with. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, uh The flight attendant change was kind of odd. Um... But I got what Usagi was going for. I was expecting to see a bike of some sort, but I mean, I guess it's change, not a uh, transport, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I she did manage. She did materialize a suitcase, so I'm not sure if she'd <laughs> be able to materialize a bike. A bike would have made a lot more sense in in this situation, but this is right. Usagi, who's not the best at planning, and she did only have kind of a few seconds to come up with this. So whatever, the first thing that came to mind was what she did, and that was the flight attendant, I guess. She doesn't actually really use this disguise for anything, though, here or back in the manga, uh, though I think this scene may have been extended slightly in the first series, where she did actually kind of take on the persona a bit, like she normally does in using it. Uh, but I'm not really sure why she decided to do it at all when it didn't really... Um, it wasn't really relevant
0: right yeah it's, it's just maybe uh, they wanted to keep up with the tradition like it happened a lot in the original in the original, the original show, show right
1: yeah but I mean she did do the flight attendant costume in the manga. It is a transformation that she used there and again even in the manga she then jumped straight to being Sailor Moon so hmm. there was really no reason for her to do it even originally.
0: How weird. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Is Ray older and in high school?
1: Uh, All five of our main girls are the same age. Uh, So Ray is not older. She's still in junior high, but she goes to a different school. Ray goes to a, a private academy, which is why we see her in a different uniform.
0: Okay, uh, it's interesting to me that all the or that the sailor Mars outfit is different. I think in the opening uh, and closing, not in the closing, actually just the opening, you can see that there are two variations of the sailor guardian suits: the one with the boots and the one with the high heels. Is that? An, well, it can't be an age difference thing because they're all the same age.
1: Yeah, um, all five girls actually have slightly slightly different uniforms. Uh, there's subtle differences between them. Uh, Ami and Rey's are both very close to Sagi's, but Ami is missing the shoulder armor, uh, if you look at her, and Rey has the high heels instead of the boots. Uh, Jupiter and Venus also have some slight variations to their uniforms. Uh, they both have different shoes than everyone else, um, and from each other. There are also hmm. a lot of little ornaments on their uniforms that are in the manga that uh, differa- differentiate them further uh like on her waistband ray has uh a little gem but uh these don't seem to be included in either anime i'm not sure if they're going to show up in chris if jupiter and venus's will show up in crystal at all uh given that theirs are a bit more elaborate
0: okay that's interesting Uh Oh, is, is there an explicit allusion to the Sixth Hill being linked to the 6 p.m. Uh, bus in the manga? It seemed very vague in the episode, and I wondered why they didn't just spell it out.
1: Uh, it's basically exactly the same in the manga. Ray explains it pretty much exactly the same way. I think it might just be sort of an urban legend about the area that Jadite was probably exploiting for his plan to kidnap these children.
0: Okay, that actually makes a little more sense then to think about it that way,
1: yeah, I'm not sure if they say like specifically that this is just an urban legend in the area, but i I think it's more of just, oh, there's always been this phantom sixth hill thing, and then Jada just exploits uh that old urban legend,
0: right, okay, and then uh back to the teleporting um I thought it was weird, but interesting, and it's uh like I was wondering, is that an old thing, like from Power Rangers or other Tokusatsu? Um, or did uh Saban like, you know, see this and then take it for Power Rangers? Because this Sailor Moon debuted before Power Rangers, or, or before uh yeah, Power Rangers, didn't it? Um
1: I know it definitely debuted in Japan and was running in Japan before we had Power Rangers over here. Okay um I'm not sure I'm not sure uh which aired over here first I think actually power Rangers may have aired over here
0: first well they're um I think there's a YouTube video of him seeing the jetman theme so I think he's actually yeah, no, liked he's probably Tokusatsu very aware, for years
1: very aware of these tropes and other things
0: right um, but yeah. I, I guess the transforming in the early shows could have just been to cut around or work around stock footage so yeah.
1: Um, Here, again, it's definitely implied that the transformation is what teleported Ami. I'm not sure how Luna also teleported, because in the manga she stayed behind, um, which lent uh, a lot more toward Ami's transformation specifically being what brought her to Sagi. I think Luna does also have the ability to teleport, but doesn't use it very frequently. Again, Luna's power is much lower than theirs, so it may take a lot out of her to do it. Uh, but with the way they shuffled things around here, uh, with not giving Ami the pen to give to Ray, they may have just brought Luna over in order to save time and not have to explain things further.
0: Yeah, maybe. It also seems like uh, maybe she's key to, like, pronouncing sailorhood to the girls. Um, well, I guess we'll just have to see if that happens the next two times.
1: Yeah, we'll have to see uh, if Luna's there. Cause again, uh, she didn't do that in the manga. She stayed behind. So it was actually Ami gave, uh, Ray the pen to transform into Mars. But okay. I, I guess we'll have to see how, it, how Crystal keeps handling it.
0: Right. Uh, Usagi's <laughs> vacillation on whether or not she is normal or extraordinary was really funny. It, uh, and actually, um, like, that's good humor. And there was, uh, she like bumped her face against a pillar or something in the dark too, like, I just, there's little bits of humor in here that are really good.
1: Yeah, no, I I really enjoyed the whole scene of getting to Rey and kind of explaining being Sailor Moon to Rey, especially with the cuts to Luna, who's completely exasperated with Usagi kind of fumbling around trying to hide her identity in the middle of losing this fight against Jadeite. (laughs) Like, she's not doing well, but clearly uh hiding her identity and trying to explain all of this to Ray takes priority uh over that fact um it was really played in in this funny sort of way of look we're we're as weird as you are not that you're weird or anything or that being weird is bad it it, it was very much kind of it was very soggy in the way that it was handled and i really enjoyed that
0: Yeah, she's um, she's a lot of fun. I like her a lot, and it's uh, like she gets to be a little bit ditzy while not having like the shonen hero idiocy. Yeah, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, she definitely Usagi gets to be innocent.
0: Yeah, I I like the putting it that way. That's good. Um, something I don't like, though. Shocker. Uh, I don't really like Ami's transformation sequence. It seems over-characterized, almost uh, standoffish, or, like, uh, maybe puts her in, a like, a weaker standpoint. It's fine if that's who she is. Like, she can be meek, that's okay. But it doesn't feel right to me, necessarily, the staging of it, perhaps because of the sexist, biased world in which we live.
1: I actually... I've always felt that Ami's transformation sequence was a little short. And as a a kid, having Ami as one of my favorites, I was always a little disappointed that it wasn't kind of as exciting as everyone else's transformation sequences. But now looking at it and knowing as much as I do about Ami and who she is, I think that a, a, a sequence that straightforward and simple really does suit her. Ami isn't one for big flare or large displays. She'd be the type to, if there was a way to forego the sequence at all, she'd just want the suit on and to be getting, getting down to business.
0: <laughs> That's and funny. I think
1: uh, her sequence really does reflect that in a way.
0: Uh, that's an interesting perspective on it. Uh, on the other hand, Ray's transformation is awesome. Uh, she seems so strong and fierce, and I get the sense that she is definitely a butt uh, kicker.
1: Yeah, this, again, this definitely emphasizes this idea of the transformation sequences uh, being connected to their personality. Usagi's is very elaborate and elegant. There's a lot of her moving in these very long gestures, where Ray's is very vivid and powerful and very, it very much consumes her. And you kind of get the sense of what Ray is capable of, that she's, she's fire. She's raw power. Um, in, in that sequence alone. So before Ray even stepped in as sailor Mars, we had a feeling for the kind of fighter she'd be. And again, Ami's is very, very fresh and simple. And I think that really, it says something about each of them.
0: Yeah, and I like that concept. Um, I think that's good. Again, yeah, uh, I think and this, um,
1: in, with their catchphrases, I think it kind of does the same thing. Usagi, in the name of the moon, Usagi will punish people who do wrong. It's Usagi's active duty as Sailor Moon at the core of the team to be in the front punishing their enemies. Ray has nearly the exact same line, which again I think does a lot to connect the friendship that's going to build between Usagi and Ray, because that's really there and means a lot. Um, in the name of Mars, she will chastise their enemies. She doesn't. She. It's a more passive action. Um, it's one that implies talking instead of fighting, but being chastised can be just as brutal as being actively fought. Yeah. She's, going to, she's going to stand there and tell you everything you've done wrong and why it's wrong. Um, but both of them are spe- a specific action that they're taking against the enemy. Usagi will punish, Ray will chastise. Ami's line of douse yourself in water and repent is a step back even further because that's all action she's telling the enemy to take upon themselves. It, it's kind of a, hey, slow down cool off, think about what you're doing, instead of, I'm going to do this to you.
0: Yeah, um, I think that is interesting. I almost can see Ray's line about chastisement as an extension of her, like, shrine priestess um, duties. However... Uh, and maybe it's because I don't know enough about, like, Shintoism and uh, religion or religious life in Japan. Um, Ami's, what she says is very, like, Western, or it's very biblical, you know. It um, is. Uh,
1: and I, that is a little odd for her, because Ami isn't really uh, someone you would connect with religion. But repentance is very much um, specifically a Christian thing. Uh, maybe even more specifically, a Catholic thing, and knowing growing up Catholic, uh, her line definitely hits ve- very close to home with that for me. And I I do find it a little odd for her, even though I love that line. I think it's great.
0: Oh yeah, I, I love it too. It's just interesting to me. I would almost think that Ray would have a line closer to that because, like, she's purifying evil spirits with her. um I don't know. It's like a talisman or or a tag. What do you What do you call? Yeah.
1: Um. Again, I'm not that familiar with, so I wouldn't know what to na- what to call it properly, and I don't want to call it improperly. But yes, Ray uh, definitely handles more in exorcism, so I do find it a little odd that Ami's line is much closer uh, to a religious thing, where um, Ray's comment chastise making someone think about what they've done seems something that would suit Ami, who is more logical, a bit better.
0: Right. Yeah, I I just think it's kind of an interesting choice, but uh, you had one final thing to say, right?
1: I do. um, About Phobos and Deimos, uh, rays, ravens, or I think they're actually crows. I believe they're actually crows, but I think they called them ravens in the subtitles uh, cuz those are mixed up very commonly right uh but when when we first have Usagi meeting Ray she gets attacked by the two crows and then uh Ray comes out to try and exercise this demonic presence which i think <laughs> may have been jaded on the bus and uh Usagi just kind of accidentally dragging that lingering energy in but beyond that, there was, in that scene, they continued to put a very specific emphasis on the two crows, showing them in the tree, inserting a lot of, uh, their calls into the background noise, showing them on a roof, showing them flying beyond Ray, um, where it put a lot of importance on them in that first scene at the shrine, and I believe they were, they even showed up in the second scene at the shrine. Um, so I'm really surprised that they didn't follow through on that and have them show up to assist in Ray exercising Jadeite. Uh, because they did appear out of nowhere for that in the manga. And I'm, it, it was very surprising that they didn't do that, given, just given specifically how much emphasis was put on them in the original scene where they showed up.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I didn't quite catch that. Do you know, uh, like to me. <laughs> I want to guess at the etymology of what those names are supposed to mean.
1: They're the Moons of Mars.
0: Oh, okay. There you go.
1: Uh, Mars's two moons are Phobos <laughs> and Deimos.
0: Oh, that's funny. I like that. Um, hmm. Yeah, so you would think they'd have more of an importance to her in yeah, the show proper, right. but...
1: Uh, they do have a very specific importance that comes up later uh, in the final story arc. Uh, there's something very specific about them that happens that, again, I'm wondering... It's something that wasn't carried out the first time that story arc was handled in in the first series. So I'm wondering if they're going to carry those things over from the manga this time, if we get to S.T.A.R.S.
0: Hmm. Okay, interesting. All right, well, I think that's about it for this episode.
1: Yeah, I think that's everything.
0: Okay, well, uh, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks, everyone. This has been Moonspeak, bi-monthly discussion and review of Sailor Moon Crystal. Visit trialofheroes.wordpress.com. To see text reviews every Monday after Crystal airs and hear new Moonspeak the Monday after that. Moonspeak is part of the Toe Network, where you can find articles and commentary on pop culture and genre fandom, including our flagship show, Uncommon Cast RX. The opening and closing is a piano arrangement of the uh, new Sailor Moon Crystal song Moon Pride, played by Josh Agarado, whose work you can find at josh.agarado.net and also on YouTube. There's a lot of cool work there, so go ahead and check it out if you like this song.